the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A well-known television personality announces his retirement, and then, does going to church help you live longer? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, happy Wednesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, so glad to have you with us today. Uh, you probably were expecting Steve Koble to be joining me, but Steve is not going to be here today, but we will hopefully be joining us the rest of the week. So guess what? You get just me today. We are glad that you are here. Hope that you're having a great day. Uh, if you've missed any of our shows this week or if you can't be with us all day today, go ahead and get our podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. It's a beautiful day here in the Chicagoland area, and uh, we hope that summer is there for you now, right? Like, it's, it can be hard to get into summer and start to trust that it's here and kind of get that break. Oh, Aubrey, my co-host, is getting a break this week going out of town. Uh, it feels like summer is finally upon us, so we hope that you're having uh, some relaxing time. You're you're enjoying time, whether I be at home or out of town. Hope that you're doing well. Couple stories I wanted to highlight that uh, just off the bat here. Uh, let's start here. A well-known television staple, somebody who many of us grew up with, is announcing his retirement. Finally, nobody knows the exact day or time that the retirement is going to happen, but. Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak has announced uh, that after his 41st season, which begins in September on the Wheel of Fortune, that it will be his last. He says, it's been a wonderful ride, and I'll have more to say in the coming months. Many thanks to you all. Do you realize 41 years? I'm 46 years old. So basically, my whole remembrance in the game show world, Pat Sajak, Vanna White, Wheel of Fortune. What an awesome job that that guy has had right because i don't know if you know this they do five shows but they will re often record them all in one or two days and that's his life making lots of money being world famous doing the wheel of fortune it got me thinking who is the most famous uh game show host of our day i don't know about the older day right like so thinking 80s 90s now i think the top of that list ah this could I'd love to know what you think. Uh, send us a message on Facebook. I think that I think it's Alex Trebek. I think it's Alex Trebek. But close behind that, if it's not Alex Trebek, I would go with Bob Barker of The Price is Right. But but Pat Sajak is right there. And so, uh, you know, what a great career. What an amazing career. Ironically, Pat Sajak is very active on Twitter now, and he's very – uh, he's funny. He's opinionated. So I would encourage you to follow him there. That is where he announced this retirement. But uh, Pat Sajak, again, on the Mount Rushmore. I think so. I think on the Mount Rushmore 
of game show hosts. I do have to say Wheel of Fortune is not my favorite game show, but uh, a, a career well done uh, by Pat Sajak. All right, two other crazy stories just to kick us off today. I didn't realize that accident in Philadelphia the other day that basically collapsed portion of I-95 and is now causing all this traffic. It got me thinking, what's the equivalent in uh, in Chicago? Is it like if 290, if the Eisenhower just got shut down? Part of that, there's just traffic everywhere uh, because just a gas tanker truck overturned and caught fire and it <clears throat> collapsed the northbound bridge right there on I-95. What an amazing sight, but also uh just gonna gonna just cause summer traffic to be a crawl so i i don't know about that sadly the the truck driver it appears passed away in the accident but nobody else did uh so just crazy keeping an eye on that they said it could take months to rebuild and that summer people are driving up and down the east coast i-95 people getting to work in the philly area just nuts so uh that's wild but i saved the best story for last did you see this one on the news? Here we go. Let me just read to you uh, the headline. Woman who was declared dead revives during her wake, bangs on coffin. All of this happened in Ecuador. Mourners in Ecuador had gathered at the funeral of retired nurse Bella Montoya when they heard strange noises coming from inside the coffin. This might sound like a trope for a horror movie, but relatives were startled to see that Montoya, who had been declared dead after suffering a suspected stroke and cardiac arrest, was actually alive and breathing. It gave us all quite a fright, her son said. The woman was unconscious when her family took her to the hospital uh, on Friday. She did not respond to resuscitation, and the doctor on duty at the hospital declared that she had died. Her family took her to the funeral home that same day, only to hear sounds from inside her coffin during the wake. There are about 20 of us there. After about five hours of the wake, the coffin started to make sounds. My mom was wrapped in sheets and hitting the coffin. And when we approached, we could see that she was breathing heavily. Video taken immediately afterwards showed a coffin resting on the floor uh, and the woman inside it with her two of her sons or two men supporting her head. She was rushed back to the hospital where she remained intubated in intensive care and they described her condition as unstable. Her son said the doctors still are not giving her much hope about the prognosis. Following the incident Friday, the health ministry tried to reassure Ecuadorians that it, quote, maintains the offer of health services to the population at all levels of care. Okay. Can we just put ourselves in this situation for a second? I read this and this is one of the most unbelievable things. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be in that situation. You're grieving. It's your mom. You're 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 around the coffin. You're due to five hours of awake, and all of a sudden you hear just boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. And you look around and you're like, where is that coming from? And you realize it's coming from the coffin. They say in the article there that this is like the trope for any horror movie. Absolutely. Any of us who've ever been to a funeral, I think you you always kind of think about like, what if that ever happened? But you know it's never going to happen. Well, it happened. And I just can't believe it. Now, she still may not make it. It's not like she got up and was like talking to everybody and doing well. Uh, but she was uh, with it enough to realize that she needed to bang on this thing. This is every horror movie. This is every worst nightmare. This is 
craziness. I, like, I just, I can't believe something like that happened. And now everybody in Ecuador around there, when the, somebody dies, they're gonna be like, you need to double check, triple check, quadruple check. So when I saw that story, I was like, I just can't believe that story actually happened. So there you go. Traffic accidents, Pat Sajak, woman alive in a coffin. I think we're off to a good start here today. And I am thrilled to be joined by the program director of Illinois Science and Energy Innovation Foundation and uh, the lead organizer of Earth uh, Earth Art Chicago. Her name is Uzma Normahamed. Uzma, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, looks like you guys are doing some fascinating things around the city with Earth Art Chicago. Can you tell us about uh, your organization and more so what you guys are doing through the course of the summer here? Sure. So Earth Art Chicago is an initiative that's funded by our foundation as the lead funder, uh, but also other foundations that have supported this. And what we are doing is trying to bring attention to environmental and climate change issues through art. Um, what we have found is that the communication around climate and environmental issues is very science heavy, can sometimes be alienating, um, sometimes requires an advanced degree to understand. And so we just want to acknowledge that all of the work scientists are doing and the researchers are doing is very important, but there are other ways to approach some of these topics, um, mm. one of them being art. And so we launched this initiative a, a year and a half ago, but it's it's been about three years in the making um, to invite artists um, to find different expressions around environmental and climate issues and to create art and place that within communities throughout Chicago. So we just announced um, 12 projects that we funded in different neighborhoods throughout the city where folks can go and look at these pieces. Um, a couple of them are, are live pieces, so those won't always be around, but our website, earthartchicago.org, lists uh, many of the art pieces that folks can go visit um, to, to uh, experience some of the different mm -hmm. issues around climate that are local to the city, around environmental issues um, around environmental justice and simultaneously learn about some of these issues as well. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. I, I'd love to dive into something you said there that, cause you're right. Issues like this are very science laden, very science driven. Uh, unpack some more why, why you think art is so powerful in general, maybe around this subject, but just in general, what does it do? How does it kind of open up the conversation in our thinking? Yeah, I think art is um, a portal to, to social change. And I think that we can't always measure that. We don't know that if an artist creates a song that it inspires someone to act in some way. I think that in that way, it's not directly connected. But we do know that people get inspired when they hear stories, when they see things, they're moved to action. And I think one of the reasons why we wanted to fund a program like this is because we believe that there are various ways of engagement around environmental issues. That's something that our foundation has supported for over a decade now. And um, with art and, and um, storytelling in particular, it allows for various ways uh, for people to express some of these issues in a way that's really personal, that might hit mm -hmm. home with someone in a way that perhaps hearing a statistic about um, climate change will not. And we want people to be engaged and to continue to be engaged because I think that that renewal is also important. Um, Lots of times we hear stories that can seem very big and overwhelming and you think, okay, I'm recycling, I'm composting, I'm writing letters to my elected officials. Um, 
you know, what am I really doing to contributing to this massive problem? And I think that uh, it takes a lot of effort and deliberation to stay inspired and hopeful. And we think that these art pieces are an act of inspiration. Um, yeah. and, and we think it's important to, to, um, to have that, to have that renewed, um, not just inspiration, but also communities coming together and doing things collectively and to yeah. stay organized, to continue to do the work because, um, in the way that we have to believe that things can get better, they can also get worse if we don't mm. act. Yeah. Yeah. Could you give us an example of one of the pieces, maybe where it is and what people would see if they went and saw it? Sure. Um, one of the pieces that I think um, is uh, that we funded through this initiative is called Rio de Benvenida, and it's uh, the River of Welcome. And that's located along the Canal Port River Walk. So right on the south branch of the Chicago River. Um, and that project in particular is placed on an underutilized stretch of the park um, at mm. the river walk right there. We want to bring attention to the south branch of the river because we are seeing um, our river come back to life over the last several mm. decades when I think that in our minds, it was just considered a dumping ground for industry for many years. Mm. And now we see the health of the river coming back with a lot of inten intention, deliberation and policies to facilitate that. Um, and I think that there's so much more that we can do too. So this art piece um, is a mix of a mosaic and steel structure that looks very welcoming in a stretch of the park that you normally wouldn't think was there or would want to go to unless you know that it's already there. Yeah. And so yeah. Um, I think it, it does a few things that revitalizes that piece of, uh, of land. Um, we've also, you know, the artists have also found resources, uh, in addition to the funding that we gave them to plant some native plants there as well. So now you have, um, you know, beautification happening on that stretch of the park. You have this art that's welcoming people and it's in a spot where when you sit down, there are benches there and you can look out at the South branch of the river and reflect mm. on the possibilities there because right across on the other side of the park is uh, a very industry heavy area. There is a, a metal shredder right there. So you see giant cranes lifting piles of, of shredded metal. Um, and we want people to sit there and think about that, to think about the beauty that is right there in front of them. Um, mm. And then to think about the river and the possibility there and to think about the industry that's right across on the other side and how all those pieces play together and what kind of future we want for our river. So yeah. that's just one example. Um, we wanted to bring attention to that issue. And each of these pieces bring attention to various environmental issues. And, yeah. um, this one in particular involved community from the early stages. So if folks go there and take a look at the Canal Port Riverwalk um, Park and find that piece, the designs that are incorporated into the piece and into the mosaic that's just beautiful um, were uh, designed by the community and in conversation with the community. That's awesome. Uh Obviously, anytime you talk environmentalism, you talk climate change, that's a highly political subject for many people. But with politics these days comes a lot of emotions. Are you ever worried that people are going to do something destructive to these pieces? Is there anything you guys have had to do or are they just nice art for people to see? Have you had to think through that prop, uh, portion of this at all? I think that um, we we know that it's a real political issue, but it's also mm -hmm. becoming more personal as many yep political issues do um, have that dynamic. Um, people are seeing more flooding in their homes. People are seeing more extreme weather events. Um, we're talking about the waters rising and how that will affect the overall ecosystem. And so I think that, um, you know, no matter the politics, 
people are hearing these stories. And if there is denialism, I think that that's what the art is supposed to do is bridge some of that. They yeah. say, you know, we're not here to convince you to take a political stance. Perhaps you can take a look at this piece and it'll get you to think about some things. And um, that reflection is really important. Um, we are not at all um, worried about any of the pieces, you know, Good. getting defaced or anything in that way, because I think that the pieces are joyful. Um, mm -hmm. And that was one of the values that was identified by the community. You know, that's another remarkable piece about this Earth Art Chicago program is that the community was involved in creating this proposal process. And one of the things people said they wanted to see was um, art that invokes joy rather than doom. And mm -hmm. so uh, that was one of the criteria when we were picking out projects because that's what people wanted to see. Well, that's great. Uh, before we let you go, website, where can people go to find out where they can go see the art? Where can they find out more information? Yeah. So earthartchicago.org is where you want to go to check out all of the pieces that we have funded that you can go take a look at. They will be up for a year or two, uh, depending on the piece. Um, the theater and uh, dance pieces, of course, um, are going to end um, mm -hmm. by this weekend. So there are still a couple of events because all of these art pieces also had what we called activation events where we wanted the community to come out and see these pieces. So there is still one weekend left of activation events. There is a block party happening on the Southeast side. Um, and there's a film screening there as well about the environmental justice issues on the Southeast side. So if folks want to check out those particular events, earthartchicago.org. And if you want to just check out the rest of the art pieces, you can also find it on our website or um, Instagram, EarthArtChicago. Great. EarthArtChicago.org. Uh, Uzma Nurmuhammad, she's the lead organizer of Earth or Art Chicago. Uzma, this, uh, uh, this sounds really fascinating, Uzma. We're really glad that you were able to spend some time telling us about it. I look forward to come checking out some of the stuff in the city myself. So thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. And as you hopefully are aware, Father's Day is this weekend coming up. And with that in mind, we wanted to have a conversation about how to celebrate dads and how to do this well. And to do that, we're joined by uh, Daniel Huerta. He is the Vice President of Parenting and Youth at Focus on the Family, also the author of Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. Daniel, how are you doing today, friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks, Brian, for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure to join us. We love Focus on the Family, a great partnership over the years. And Father's Day is coming up this weekend. I'm a dad. Mm. So, you know, we all want to be uh, we all want to be celebrated. But it's probably safe to say, wouldn't you, that I like to think of Father's Day as the minor leagues compared to Mother's Day. There's like a <laughs> hierarchy. But yeah. speak to us why this is still an important holiday, something that needs to be celebrated. Well, dads have a tremendous impact on their homes. Research has shown it over and over that it reduces the amount of delinquency in kids. It reduces behavior issues, anxiety, depression, loneliness in kids. We've been talking about mental health issues. Dads play a big part in mental health and also spiritual health in our kids and our homes. And let's celebrate the dads. Dads carry tons of insecurities, have plenty of critics every single day. They want to know they're doing something well, something right. And on Father's Day, you can let them know specifically what they're doing well. They love to, I know as a dad, I love to hear that. And, and lots of dads have told me, well, I love to know specifically what I'm doing well, because plenty of things mm. tell me what I'm not doing well. And a lot of discouraged dads out there, dads that feel that culture is painting them to be 
either that a, a, a dad that's uninvolved, unintentional, not doing things well. This is a time to remind your dad that he's doing well and that he's he's all in and mm. what you're thankful for in him. And then enjoying your dad that's there. That's uh, so important to do. So it's just important to celebrate dads and the role they've got in a home. They have superpowers they, that, that they can bring into the home. Let's unleash those. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive into something you said there. I think it's fascinating. This idea that dads, um, we're a lot of dads, you know, we, we've grown up with like the stoic dad, right? Yeah. Like uh, in TV, I, I think of Jack Arnold on the wonder years or whatever else it might be kind of that detached. But like you said, that's not most dads. And we've been given this mixed message and it leaves a lot of us going, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if that, where, where does that come from and how does that play itself out? Do you think in most dads? Well, I mean, one thing is, is culture keeps saying what, what dads are doing wrong and they'll highlight the dad that's not doing it well. We don't have a show that's running out there showing the dads that are intentional, that are spending time with their kids. Although I have seen some more articles showing that dads are more involved in the home than they used to be, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, the quality time is what makes a difference. It's not a dad that comes home and just hangs out and watches TV. This is a dad that works, then switches the hat, comes home, and is, is attentive, attuned to the kids, is listening. I mean, it's as simple as that, just being present with your kids and listening. Uh, and and uh, culture is also painted dads to be unemotional, uh, non-listeners, mm -hmm. don't have very many words. And that's not always the case. And so there are a lot of dads that, that will tell me, man, I just, I don't know. I think I've messed my kids up or I've messed up and they're already discouraged. And it's this competitiveness that we all carry as dads. And we want to, we'll compare to another dad that's, uh, you know, parasailing and then all of a sudden doing this and that and everything. We're like, oh my goodness, I'm not that. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. comparisons aside, look at what's best for your family. Know that you can bring safety, a perception of safety to your home. By being present, like with your son, if he fails, the safety you bring is by being able to give him reassurance that, hey, I still love you. Mm. You're still worthwhile. You're still competent and good at some things. You have a sense of belonging in our family. And that's a sense of safety. Now, you can't guarantee safety, but it's a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. And you can bring love, a steadfast love to your to your son, to your daughter as well, reminding them of who they are in Christ. And the safety you can bring to a daughter is reassuring her yeah. of her worth, who she is as a person. Daughters long to hear that from their dads. And some dads hold back, especially at teen years, like, oh, it's kind of awkward. Should I show affection to my daughter? Should I not show it? Give her a hug, love her, tell her, yeah. hey, I, I care deeply for you. And I hope that you attract a contributor into your life. And those are the, the you know, when a daughter feels all, all those insecurities that she's comparing herself, a dad can say, hey, you are worthwhile. You're created on mm. purpose and with purpose. That gives a sense of security and safety to a daughter. And then out of all that, you can teach things, provide growth, guidance. And some dads just go straight to the growth and guidance out of that. Oh, I need to do this mm -hmm. because all the other dads are doing it. Start with the affection, the safety, the love, the time, the patience, the listening. And then from there, the teaching and guidance will come out. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, my kids are all teenagers now, but I, I think I learned early on as a dad and I'd love for you to unpack this a little bit because you touched on it before. Uh, the most powerful thing I can provide for my kids is presence. Yeah. Uh, just being there, being at their activities, you know, when they're little coaching their or whatever, however that looks in every family that feels like 
more than half the battle. Like just be knowing that they know that you're there for them. You're mm-hmm. in their corner. Uh, speak to uh, unpack that a little bit for us. It's just the foundational power of our presence in our kids' lives. Yeah, they know that they're they're worthwhile. That's a core thirst for a yeah. kid that I'm worth something, that I have competence. And, and, and you just being there gives a sense of reassurance. Things are going to be okay, and my dad cares about me. I, hey, bring dad jokes, right? I mean, as, as dads, we can bring those <laughs> to those places, just being present. You bring, you bring laughter and playfulness. You really can. And, uh, and, and, and by you listening, you show interest in them as a person beyond their performance. Just by being there, your presence shows them that, do you have value beyond what you do or how you present yourself? But, hey, we have some dad jokes, actually, uh, Brian. We have uh, – if, if you want to sign up for those, you can actually Please tell me where. I am the king of the dad <laughs> joke. Please tell me. We'll send you two a day for, from now to, till Father's Day. And uh, you text JOKE, J-O-K-E, to 32728. 32728. 32728. Yeah, and text joke. And you'll, you'll get to, uh, we, we try to pick the, the best of the best from our Clubhouse magazine. We send out these dad jokes, and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy those. I've been doing some of those. I got an eye roll from my wife on one of them, which is fantastic. She, she really thought it was full cheese. So, yeah. I mean, so you said 32728. Correct. Texture. I did it. I did it already. I got it. It's that easy. Can I tell you, I am like, I, it, it literally is something that grows within us as we get older. I didn't used to do dad jokes and now I do them all the time to my kids and they roll their eyes and I can't stop. I just can't <laughs> yeah, stop. That's right. <laughs> that's it really is wonderful. Hey, for the moms out there, the kids who might be listening, uh, remind them Father's Day this weekend. What is what does it look like to celebrate? What what do you think most dads want? What do you think a good celebrate? Because you know we got enough gifts. I'm not sure gifts is it. Maybe it is for some people. Some of us want to just watch the U.S. Open or whatever else. But what does it look like to celebrate Father's Day well? Yeah, so uh, you know I, I asked a few uh, several dads throughout the years. What do you love for Father's Day? Because yeah, it is complicated. Mm-hmm. Some some kids will say, "What do I what do I buy my dad? He doesn't really want anything or right. anything." Homemade cards. A lot of dads have said, I love mm-hmm. homemade cards. Uh, I have one that my daughter, uh, she's made one every year. And she, this, oh, in this case, she wrote a Bible verse for me. But uh, it, write your dad some uh, notes of encouragement or, or specific things you love and appreciate about him. Uh, so a homemade card, writing a note on the mirror where he's going to see himself or, or, or at the at the dinner table, just some note, a, a note of, I love you, dad. I mean, he'll keep that. And uh, you can do a high five. This is a, this is a great one. Usually I tell parents to do this with their kids, but do this with your dad. Say, Hey dad, I want to give you a high five. And he's, he's putting his hand up and you go, no, 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 no. Here's my high five. Here are five things I absolutely love about you. Five things I would do mm. with you on a free day. Here are five things that uh, I know you enjoy doing. Dads love to feel known as well. Uh, whether they admit it or not, just go up to your dad and hug him and say, man, dad, I, I love you. And I love that you're here in our home. And uh, if, if there's pain between you and your dad, this is a great time. A, a big, big gift is to say, hey, dad, can we can we solve some things? I think we're disconnected. And I really want yeah. to have a relationship with you. Your dad may not know how to start that out. He may think, man, I messed up. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be the greatest gift he's ever received in his life to know that you are wanting to have a good relationship with them when things are, are, are separated out. A fun one could be taking them out for surprise. 
and uh, mm -hmm. blindfolding your dad and saying, hey, we're taking you out. And you take him to a brand new restaurant you guys have never gone to and go on an adventure, uh, something like that. Now, we have an article with 25 other ideas, and you can go to focusonparenting.com, focusonparenting.com. And it's uh, the article on the superhero dad. Just go down there, with plenty of ideas. Get creative. Dads aren't wanting big, big gifts. Maybe there's one or two out there that maybe do want that, but most dads yeah. are just wanting time and hanging out and uh, maybe playing some sports, doing some things throughout the day, maybe taking a hike. Yeah. So be, uh, just, oh, just get awesome. to know your dad on that. That's a good word, man. Uh, Daniel Huerta is the VP of Parenting and Youth at Focus on the Family, also the author of Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. Real fast, you can listen to Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. <laughs> Uh, every day at 11.30 a.m., every weekday right here on AM 1160. Danny, these are wonderful, man. If for nothing else, I now have more dad jokes to tell my children. <laughs> so I'm very excited for that. But happy Father's Day, bud. Thanks for doing this with us. Hey, thank you so much, Brian. And one thing for dads, if you want one simple thing you could do right in the morning on Father's Day, go down, give them a huge smile, look into your kid's eyes and say, I love you. You know, you know I would die for you. And I want you to know that today, this Father's mm. Day thankful to be your dad and you're going to see how that day goes when you start off that way so thank you brian uh, for a, letting me be with you. Great happy father's day grateful for the time with daniel huerta uh glenn pacquiam he's a pastor i believe out of colorado as well uh, i think that one of the reasons because he's been tweeting about the denver nuggets over and over again during this playoff run uh but a real he's been on this show before but just a pastor that i really respect who who really says good stuff and writes good quality stuff. And, and I want you to hear something that he said the other day. And he actually said that in his post, he said, this was kind of a throw in. He, it was that time after worship where the pastor comes up and everyone's sitting and you've just sung. And he felt the need to kind of comment a side comment on what they had just been talking about. Listen to what Glenn Packiam said to his congregation. As Christians, the Bible actually has loads to say about our physical postures in worship. It, it talks about us kneeling and about standing and about dancing and about shouting and about clapping and about singing. And the reason the Bible does this is because the God who made you and the God who made me understands that sometimes when we get our bodies involved, our hearts follow. And, and we, we kind of think we, we want to do it the other way around. Like when I'm feeling it, then I'll, you know, kind of lift my hands or clap. And, and we, we sort of have this thing in our mind that if it's, hypocritical if I do something that I don't feel. But hypocrisy is not when your actions don't match your feelings. Hypocrisy is when your actions don't match your convictions. And so if you have this conviction that God is worthy, and if you have this conviction that, we, that he's worthy of all the glory and the praise, then we let our actions follow, and then sometimes our feelings will follow our bodies. And so I just want to say that I appreciate that about the way we were led this morning, and to encourage us as a church, uh, sometimes you'll feel it and you're already there. Other times it's as you raise your hands, or as you sing, or as you shout, that all of a sudden it opens up something in your hearts. Okay? Amen? So his point was basically... Uh, our bodies matter. Our bodies can lead our hearts into worship. And I love that because so often we can think of worship, in this case, singing and engaging is just a mind thing. But what his point was, uh, the raising of hands, the getting on knees, the um, whatever else, it, the, the whatever else it might be, this act of singing and this act of our bodies can often then lead our minds. It could lead us there as opposed to, I'm just not feeling it. 
So I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to engage. He's saying sometimes it's body first. And this reminds me of a bigger principle that, that I think is important. Sometimes when it comes to spiritual disciplines, when it comes to spiritual activities, uh, way too often we go, I'm not feeling it, so I'm not going to do it. Think about going to church. Ah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling uh, connected to God. I'm not feeling, so I'm not going to go. Think about reading your Bible or prayer. Ah, I just, you know, I feel distant from God at this time, so I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do fill in the blank of spiritual activity. And I think this principle that Pacquiam uses to talk about worship is the same. Let me just put it very bluntly this way. Sometimes you fake it before you make it. Sometimes the call is I feel disconnected from God and others. So my first step is to get to church, not avoid church, because that's going to lead you to more disconnection, more alienation and isolation. But maybe it's I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling connected. So I'm going to go to church that maybe that will spur something on. You know what? I'm not feeling connected to God. So therefore, I'm going to go on a prayer walk as the, as the kind of spur. It's a, prayer for me is not going to be a response, but it's going to be on the front end. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go on a uh, a retreat. I'm going to do something that then might spur a change in perspective with me, a change in focus, a change in whatever, as opposed to going, gosh, I feel passionately devoted to Jesus right now. I feel really locked in. So now I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to confess. I'm going to do whatever else it might be. Sometimes it's the reverse. And the call is instead, uh, our actions can then change our perspective. Our actions, like Pacquiam says here, can lead us into worship. And that's a little bit backwards. I hear this from people who haven't been to church in a while all the time. As you know, uh, I'm a pastor, and so I will hear this from people on a regular basis. Why haven't you been at church? We miss you. Where you been? I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not in a good spot. I'm just not whatever else it might be. And I would say that that's backwards. Instead, I, I, I like to, to counsel people and say, hey, that's when you need to be in church. You need the help of other people. You need to be around other people. You need to be uh, in some sort of organized worship to kind of focus and change your perspective. I'm just not feeling it. I just don't want to go read my Bible. Well, that's probably the time you need to be reading in the Word. That's the time you need to be praying. That's the time you need to be doing these spiritual disciplines. Sometimes these disciplines are a response that keep us going and keep us focused, but sometimes they are a spur. They put us in now. Okay, now my mind, my focus has changed. My perspective is different. I'm, I'm ready to go. And I feel this one especially deeply about attending church. It's so backwards to go, I will go to church when I'm feeling connected, when I'm feeling filled up, when I feel uh, part of the community. No, you got to be there. That will often spur it on. And so I thought this was just a powerful word from Glenn Packham. He did it about singing and worship in the middle of his service, telling people, this is why we engage. This is how we engage. Um, 
but ah, it's a powerful insight. It's kind of backwards. It, it gets us thinking in a different way, engaging in a different way. And, and I think it's really important. All right. Let's have the conversation. Artiful, artificial intelligence and the church. What do we think about it? Let me read this story. Uh, it just says this. Worshippers hear a new preacher. Pastor GPT. The artificial intelligence chatbot asked the believers in the fully packed St. Paul's church in the Bavarian town of Forth to rise from the pews and praise the Lord. The chat GPT chatbot personified by an avatar of a bearded black man on a huge screen above the altar, then began preaching to the more than 300 people who had shown up on Friday morning for an experimental Lutheran church service, almost entirely generated by AI. Dear friends, it began, it's an honor for me to stand stand here and preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's convention of Protestants in Germany. The avatar said with an expressionless face and monotonous voice, the 40 minute service, including the sermon prayers and music was created by chat GPT and Jonas Simmerlin, a theologian and philosopher from the university of Vienna. He said, I conceived this service, but actually I rather accompanied it because I would say that 98% of it comes from the machine. The 29 year old scholar said, The AI church service was one of hundreds of events at the convention in the Bavarian towns, and it drew such immense interest that people formed a long line outside the 19th century neo-Gothic building an hour before it began. The convention itself takes place every two years in the summer in a different place in Germany and draws tens of thousands of believers to pray, sing, and discuss their faith. They also talk about current events. And this year, one of the biggest discussions was around artificial intelligence. Summerlin says, I told the artificial intelligence, we are at the church Congress. You're the preacher. What would a church service look like? He also asked for Psalms to be included as well as prayers and a blessing at the end. You end up with a pretty solid church service, he said, sounding almost surprised by the success of the experiment. Indeed, the believers in the church listened attentively as the artificial intelligence preacher uh, about leaving the past behind, focusing on the challenges of the present, overcoming fear of death, and never losing trust in Jesus Christ. The entire service was, quote, led by four different avatars on the screen, two young women and two young men. At times, the AI-generated avatar inadvertently drew laughter as when it used platitudes and told the churchgoers with a deadpan expression that in order to keep our faith, we must pray and go to church regularly. Some people enthusiastically videoed. Uh, A 54-year-old who works in IT said she was excited and curious when the service started, but found it increasingly off-putting as it went along. She said this, There was no heart and no soul. The avatars showed no emotions at all, had no body language, and were talking so fast and monotonously that it was very hard for me to concentrate. But maybe it's different for the younger generation, she said. Uh, A 31-year-old said, I'd actually imagined it to be worse, but I was positively surprised how well it worked. Also, the language, the AI worked well, even though it was a bit bumpy at times. So what do we do with this? 
I'm going to, they end it this way. The experimental church service also showed the limits to implementing artificial AI in church or in religion. There was no real interaction between the believers and the chat bot, which wasn't able to respond to the laughter or any other reactions to the church goers. The pastor, Simmerlin said, is in the congregation. He lives with them, buries the people, knows them from the beginning. Artificial intelligence cannot do it. It does not know the congregation. Now we're getting to it. Okay. So could this chat GPT put together a sermon, just the sermon, as well as a regular preacher? It appears so, which just blows my mind. Here's what it doesn't know, though. It doesn't know the people that are sitting in the pews. Like when I write a sermon, which I will be doing later today, when I write a sermon, I have specific people in mind in my congregation. So-and-so's going through this. So-and-so's going through this. So that gets lost here. But they also talk about the biggest thing. There's no connection. If you really want to uh, encourage people to be part of a church community, a huge part of that is the interaction and the connection, not only between the people in the pews, with one another, but the people in the pews with the person behind the pulpit preaching. And so I could see this being used in good ways, but also bad ways by pastors themselves to create sermons. But I don't, I don't, I, I, I pray that this is not, there is not a day where artificial intelligence and avatars and chat GPT is going to replace the pastor in the pulpit because that takes so much of what makes the church, the church away. Uh, Now, Simmerlin, to his credit, said this is not his intention to replace religious leaders with artificial intelligence. Rather, he sees the use of AI as a way to help them with their everyday work with their congregations. He says some P pastors seek inspiration in literature, so why not also ask AI for ideas regarding an upcoming sermon? Others would like to have more time for individual spiritual guidance of their parishioners, so why not speed up the process? Again, dangerous. If done at its with, with the right intentions, I totally agree with what he is saying. I go online. I spend a lot of time online researching my sermon. So that could get cut down a little bit if this is used right. But I also know many pastors who cut corners and will, quite frankly, take sermons from other people or use this. And I see that happening here. Hey, Chad GPT, write a sermon on John 3.16, printing that sermon out and now present. That's not what we as preachers are called to do. We're called to be in the text, to use resources, but to also be prayerfully going, God, what do you have for this specific congregation in this specific day, these specific people? And that gets lost here. So I would say AI is a wonderful tool if it is being used as research. But if it's being used for sermon creation, if it's being used for uh, to cut corners, then no, this is a terrible thing for the church. The pastor must be shepherd. And shepherding is done in living rooms. It's done one-on-one and in small groups. Shepherding is also done from the pulpit, knowing what it is that your people need to be hearing. And so uh, I think this has a low ceiling, in my opinion. And if it is used too far, uh, it's going to be a negative thing for the church. But if used for research and other things, sure, I think that's okay. But pastors, be careful. Just like we were always taught, don't steal sermons from online from other people. Don't let chat GPT write your sermon for you. 
That is giving up a major part of what you are called to do and who you are called to be. Uh, and we've got to be careful with that. Well, uh, glad that you joined us today. Again, we're hoping to have Steve Coble with us again tomorrow. Until then, I pray God's blessing over you. I pray uh, that you would have your eyes focused on Jesus. And as we talked about earlier, you would make it the passion of your life to know Jesus and to make him known, to know that as a Christ follower, you are Christ's ambassador, a messenger of reconciliation, and that we together would live on mission to go and make disciples. That's my prayer for myself, for my church, and for you, our listeners. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. Until then, have a wonderful day. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.